0: I've been looking at getting a job with a new church. They've recently accepted the position in Cleveland they went out to candidate for. Um, so we will be moving out there February 1st. Thanks, Winter. Great. Uh, so we'll be moving out there February 1st, um, which is coming up very fast. Uh, so both prayers for all of the logistics and moving that those would figure themselves out. Um, but also, I'd really like to see this really cool church in a really cool situation uh, find life again, um, and like flourish and grow. I mean, it's just it's a fascinating and amazing environment that they have built. But there's no, like, there's nothing left. No life, no love in it right now. So, just praise for that. Ready? All right, definitely will do that. Brian showed me a picture of the church building uh, that they're, they've been called to, and I, I could not imagine a more unlikely-looking church building for Brian Paltinsky to pastor. Um, but, hey, I, we saw what he could do in a basement, so we're excited to see what God's going to do through the Paltinsky family there. So we will definitely pray uh, for you guys as you move there and as you minister there.
1: all right so first of all as we were talking about marriage just a second ago um i would like god to bless the newly married couple of jacob and audrey schlinkert um yeah they got married on friday in gillette and it was wonderful and they're off recuperating from entertaining for a weekend straight um and then for as far as me and Taylor go um you know blessings in marriage and all that for 2023 more specifically, um, still working on finding a job in Germany, so that would be great because that's how we get the visa that lets us actually stay in Germany for longer than a tourist week or whatever. Um, so praise for that. And then as I kind of go through my last semester at Mines, God willing, um, really want to focus on giving back and investing and getting involved like just really involved with the younger people in InterVarsity um, and just really set it up as best I can to be secure for the future like people did when I was young, and that I guess people would just respond to that and want to get as involved as I do. Okay. All right,
0: lots of new things happening there.
1: Um, I'm Chris. Hi, hey, Chris. Um, my girlfriend, Heather, just a praise and then a prayer. Um, she got a job offer for um, a deputy sheriff's position with the Pennington County. So she's worked, she's worked towards this for a very long time, and it's very exciting that that call came in on Friday and just prayers for the next few months as she goes through training and um, starts in February and then heads to Academy in March for, okay. for three months. So. All right, and we yeah. all know that Jamin
0: Hartland started as a Painton County Sheriff and deputy, and we're going to pray that that Heather does not turn into Jamin Hartland <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, but no, we don't need two people doing that anyway. <laughs> that's exciting. all right, anything else
2: Hello, my name is winter um. Uh, Quick update from me to my sending church uh, of just the Reach Training Institute and Salem Alliance in Oregon. Um, I would love prayer for uh, God to just um, give direction in the coming years. Uh, there's a lot of of decisions of where to uh, do internships and and practicums and. Um, even just like what direction of, of training God wants me for, or wants for me. Um, so in the year of 2023 to gain more of that insight, um, from God and just praise God that it's been such an amazing fit and, um, wonderful people. And he's already been sliding me into different, uh, ministries, so quickly, so that's <laughs> really cool, um, and very affirming for me to be able to still, like, serve in the similar ways that I was able to here. So,
0: awesome. So, yeah, and it's so cool to have all three of the Faltinsky kids with us today for this Sunday. We're very excited about that. All right. Anything else before we pray?
3: <laughs> I forget what I'm Hi, I'm Judy. i just like to see many more people come to believe in Jesus this year
4: and also for our country to turn around to a better place.
3: All righty. And we still have some
0: of those prayer cards uh, sitting around somewhere, don't we? Somewhere. Okay, we'll have to find those. And, uh, and yeah, if there's ever something you want us to be praying for, just pick up one of those cards and drop it in our giving box there, and we'll make sure that uh, they are prayed for and that they are given to somebody who will commit to uh, daily uh, lifting those things up. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do now. Uh, I would ask, you know, that we just gather around one another uh, to pray for these requests. So would someone gather around Antonia and pray for her and Will as they move off into the future, that God will bless that future. And I'll just, as I, as I continue on, I'll just ask you to go ahead and move over and uh, gather around her. And then if you would uh, gather around Creedon and uh, pray for him Uh, His family and him, because, you know, there's going to be a lot of adjustment for him and Jonas. Jonas, you're going to like your third school this school year. Is that how it's working? all right so if you would pray for them gather around them and pray for them in this new venture that god is leading them into and then for luke if you would gather around luke and pray on his behalf and uh, rejoice again with the new wedding or the new wedding the new marriage of jacob and audrey and their wedding coming up when is your wedding again May 20th. Oh, that's coming up. And then, yeah, job in Germany. Uh, so hopefully you wrote some of these things down. You know how to pray for them. Uh, as you gather there, you can ask for reminders, and they can fill you in. And then, uh, let's see, uh, for Chris, pray for Chris's girlfriend, Heather. Now, she becomes a deputy for the Pendant County Office. And then winter, okay? If someone would gather near winter and pray for her, for her future, for direction, for wisdom, and opportunity. And then uh, pray with Judy for salvation of souls, and for um, just a turnaround in our nation. Okay, any questions? All right, so go ahead and disperse, and then after a little time of you guys praying, I will close this.
3: Heavenly Father, as we uh, continue uh, in our prayers
0: together for one another, we look to you and we do pray, God, that you would cause a new thing to spring forth in each and every one of us in our lives. Lord, you are the God that makes all things new. Um, You are the only one who can take something that is torn Uh, beaten, disheveled, and reform it into a brand new creature. Lord, you can take our souls that have been stained with sin and make them clean and perfect in your sight and so lord we pray that this year would be a year where those things would be happening in us we pray that you would give us the eyes to see the ears to hear uh, to be able to perceive what you are doing uh, in our lives so that we would join you in that work and run with you in that with faith Uh, lord where we just might feel lost um, in the days ahead or maybe we feel a little lost today lord would you make a way for us And would you help us uh, to walk in that way with you? And, Lord, where we just feel like we're drying up, would you bring rivers to that desert? Uh, Would you refresh uh, our souls? And, and Lord, none of this could be done without Jesus Christ. So we bring all of these prayers, all of these brothers and sisters that we've been praying for in these last few minutes. Uh, before you and we say jesus we can't do this without you would you give us a new hunger uh, a new thirst uh, a new desire a new passion to just pursue hard after you in this year and lord as we now go into your word we pray that you'll be with our pastor pray that you will bring forth the words that uh, will bring life into our souls from your word and we pray God that you will anoint him uh, with your spirit that you'd come upon him mightily uh, to share with us uh, the good word that will help us to perceive you better to know you better and to follow you more closely. Uh, Lord we pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.
4: And thank you, Nick. Thank you, everyone, for leaning into that, um, for praying for one another and continuing to do that. Give you a minute just to reshuffle to get back to your seats as we now transition um, into our time of coming before God's Word. And today, um, we're going back into the series that we were in before Christmas, and that is a study on the life of Abraham. Uh, We were going through the life of Abraham um, leading up to Christmas, took a pause after chapter 17, and we're looking at this man, this couple, this family, and their story, uh, because in their story and in these chapters in the book of Genesis in which we find their story, we just see so much rich value for us in how to grow and how to mature in faith. Um, Abraham is often called the father of faith. And we see from story after story of him and Sarah's life of just what it could look like for us to grow in faith, to grow in trust of God, to walk in life with him in times that are really good and the really high highs and times that are not so good in um, some of the strange things. And I think this is a good series for us to go through because in the life of Abraham as well, there are just a lot of weird, crazy things that happen. And so it's also just a good exercise for us in Bible um, in how to approach um, the narrative that God has given us here to understand this is God's word, to consider um, what is it that God is speaking to us in some of these strange Not so good, not so comfortable stories. But yeah, we see that this is God's word, that he's using it um, to teach and to shape us. And so today we're in chapter 18. So far, we've seen a lot in the life of Abraham. Um, We've seen Abraham and Sarah faithfully follow God out of their homeland when God called them to leave where they were, to leave everything they had. Um, But then we knew that Abraham got afraid and actually ended up basically selling his wife, Sarah, to an Egyptian pharaoh um, so they wouldn't hurt him. So, it got bad. Uh, Then, God essentially forgave him, reminded him of the covenant of the deal that they made. We saw that scenario, that story of God cutting the covenant with Abraham. We saw God promise an elderly, Abraham and Sarah, that he would bless them with descendants, so many descendants, that they would be a mighty nation, and that Abraham and Sarah would be a father of many nations, and that they would serve as a blessing to the nations. And then we saw the covenant of circumcision in chapter 17 and all that was included in that showing how Abraham was going to be a blessing to the nations and that the nations were going to be led in, that God made a way for all people to be part of this covenant family. And now as we reach Genesis chapter 18, we get another one of these somewhat strange, somewhat funny, but just rich and beautiful stories from the life of abraham and essentially what this chapter is going to be all about is talking with god and prayer Um, we're going to see abraham face to face with god and so what we're going to look at and what we're going to consider today is that prayer is not so much about the circumstance not so much about the person praying Um, prayer is actually all about who god is and what god wants And so as we consider this topic of prayer and as we learn from here, I think this is really what God is highlighting in this chapter, is that prayer is more about him, who God is. Our prayers are to be influenced, they're to be drawn out of, they are to be guided by reality of who God is and what God wants. And so as we make our way to genesis chapter 18 find your way there now Um, we'll also have the words on the screen here Um, but we're going to look through this so we consider this topic of prayer and we're also going to be kind of posed with two different questions um the first one is like will god answer impossible prayers um is that a thing that he does um or is god just kind of set everything in motion and then you know you just follow the rules and everything's going to follow that or does god at times intervene and do things that are supposed to be impossible And then, of course, I think the big question that we often ask that I think we're going to be faced with in this chapter is, do I actually want what God wants? Do I actually want what God wants? Um, Or even, do we think that God has our best interests in mind? Um, The questions about God's morality come up in this chapter as well. And so, if you've had enough time to find your way to Genesis chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1, we'll read the first half, we'll read down to verse 15, And then we'll talk about it. We'll see what it is that God is saying to us here. And so follow along as we go through Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So first thing to notice is the Lord appeared to Abraham here. And the word used here for Lord is not just like a general word for like Lord or person in power. Um, The word here is Jehovah. And another part of this chapter, it will say Adonai, which is the very name of God here. And so this is an appearance of God. That leaves a whole bunch of other questions. Uh, But one of the things that most people would say here is because in the New Testament, over and over and over, it says that no one has ever seen the Father, the common understanding is that this was probably a pre-Christmas appearance of Jesus himself. God incarnate, appearing to Abraham thousands of years before Christmas took place. So I'm not going to get too much into that, But recognize here, whether it is God the Father who has taken some other physical form, or this is Jesus himself, which I think it is, this is God face-to-face, Emmanuel, God with Abraham, okay, talking to him. So Abraham looked up, and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour, and knead it, and bake some bread. Fun fact, that's 36 pounds of flour, so that's a lot of bread here. Um, Then he ran to the herd, he's running everywhere, and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant, who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. While they ate he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) Okay, so we'll pause there. Um, The start of the chapter here, Abraham is in hospitality mode. He's feeding God, feeding these men who were there with God. Um, He shares a meal with him, shares a meal with God. And it's this beautiful picture of God being at peace, being in communion with God. They're sharing a meal here together. And this is a pretty important thing to understand, especially on the whole topic of prayer, is one of the things that we see over and over again about who God is, is God is a relational God. And as we've gone through this series in the life of Abraham, we see God making these covenants, making these commitments to Abraham, these commitments to relationship, and this is an outworking of that, that God is a covenantal God who commits to these relationships to be at peace, to be in the presence with his people. And this is a really important thing to consider as we even just think about prayer, is that it is God's intent to be with his people. It's God's intent to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. And this is the message of Christmas, after all, that we just celebrated. Um, If you're here with us on Christmas Eve, then you're probably wondering, oh, why did Evan end the Christmas Eve sermon on the Day of the Lord? And the reason is because I was really sleep-deprived, and instead of going seven minutes on my first talk, I went 22 minutes. And so I actually cut off my entire um, last little bit of the talk, where I was going to talk all about Emmanuel, God with us. Um, And so (laughs) we didn't actually talk about that this last week. Um, But this is the message of Christmas, that God desires to be with his people. He sent Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. And this was the plan from the beginning. This is just who God is. This is who God is. He wants to be with his people. And you see, most other religions, um, they leave kind of the followers striving to meet with God, striving to connect with God, um, out there looking for God. But we recognize that the God of the Bible, even from Genesis, here with Abraham, the God of the Bible is the God who comes to his people. It's not the God who says, you need to do what you need to do to come find me, come meet with me. He says, I'm the God who wants to meet with his people. I'm the God who wants to meet with you. And throughout the Old Testament, you see story after story of this, of God showing how he wants to be with his people, appearing to his people, doing what it takes on his end to make it possible for people to be in communion, in relationship with him. And this is what's happening here. God is coming to Abraham and Sarah, and he's doing it so that they could be in relationship with him. And here we have Abraham feeding God, in communion with God. And this really is essentially what prayer is kind of all about in general. It's coming before God. It's being with Jesus. And it's this great privilege that we have of being with the living God. That the creator God is willing to sit down and talk with us. We just take a step back and realize like that is what we just did during prayer time. Creator of the universe wants and desires to sit down and speak with us. And we just did that. We just did that. And hopefully this kind of opens up our mind to realize just how big of a thing prayer is, just how great of a privilege it is to pray and to speak with God. Um, because prayer is something that is, I think, a universal desire for humanity. As you look through all other religions, prayer tends to be something that almost every single religion has as part of their practice. And all over the globe, people are constantly trying to tap into the, the divine. They're trying to speak with God. They're trying to come in contact with God. And there are many people who are wondering well, how can I speak with God? Does he actually hear me? What kind of God is he? Can I say this to him? Can I not? And even in our own culture, there are a lot of different debates and there are a lot of different um, ways in which you see this. And I think what really is shown through the way that prayer looks in other cultures and other religions, even in other circles of Christianity, is that who you believe God to be is going to directly affect and change and shape the way that you pray. Who you think God is, who you understand him to be, is going to absolutely change the way that you pray and absolutely affect it. And so especially from this chapter, I want us to really lean into and see who God is. Because that's going to be one of the most important things for us to understand how it is that we get to, we can, we will approach God. Because oftentimes people will think, well, God is he's a distant God. He kind of set everything in motion. He's disconnected. doesn't really care about humanity. We're like ants in the sandbox for him. And so talking to God, you'll see in a lot of different religions, a lot of different practices, even amongst us, that this is kind of the perspective people pray with. God just disconnected. Or even just the idea that God doesn't actually listen. He put everything in motion, and he doesn't really care what we have to say. Um, It's not really going to change anything, and this is just a practice for us to be consistent. Um, But what we're going to see, and obviously what we just celebrated on Christmas, the God who wants to be with us, the God who wants to talk to us, and what we're going to see in this chapter— Is a God who speaks, responds to, interacts with his people. Um, Because here, he's meeting face-to-face with Abraham. And we saw that all throughout the Gospels, the fact that Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth to meet with humanity. People walked with him, they talked with him, they asked him questions, they had their questions answered. Um, Jesus taught. This is directly from the mouth of God. Jesus was speaking to them. And this is essentially what's happening with Abraham as well. So Abraham, he's talking to God, mano y mano, like he was just sitting outside of his tent. God appears. All of a sudden, appearance of deity cooks him a meal. And then later on, we're going to see he actually goes for a walk with him. God's going to talk to him a little bit more. Um, But just stop and consider this, because this seems like such an amazing story, such an amazing thing. God just appeared to him. And I just want to ask you, like, well, what would you say if God appeared to you outside your tent while you're making 36 pounds of bread? Like, what would you want to say to God in that moment? If God physically appeared to you like that, questions would you ask? What things would you say? What would your prayers, what would your interaction with God look like if he was right there, appeared to you just like in this story? What would that look like? And would that be different than the way that you pray now? And then if it is, I think we do have to consider why. Why does that change things so much? Why is the way that we pray so different now versus how it would be if you showed up to a tent like that?
3: Why would it be like that? But either way, I think other questions get raised as well just on
4: the topic of some of the difficulties that we have with prayer. Um, and I think a lot of the difficulties that we have with prayer, they come from just us not making prayer all about God, not making it all about who he is, but actually inserting ourselves a bit in it. Um, Because you see, when God said that Sarah would conceive at this age, what happened? She laughed, right? She laughed. Um, And it's kind of funny that Sarah, she wasn't laughing out loud. It says that she laughed to herself, and she thought this. And so Jesus here is doing um, some sneaky Jesus stuff where he just knows her thoughts, apparently. Um, And she tried to, like, deny it at first. Like, I didn't laugh. I said, yes, you did. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. I mean, he doesn't seem all that mad about it. He's just saying, yes, you did. Stop lying. Um, You can't slip one by Jesus. Um, But the question here is posed that, that he poses. He says, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? This is something you want. This is something God has promised you. This is a good thing. Are you laughing because you think it's too hard? And I think this is a question that many of us struggle with, but... But often it's probably not the same question of, is it too hard for God? Because I think if we would affirm that God exists, that he's the creator of the universe, we would probably affirm it's not too hard for him. But I think we often wrestle with the question of, well, will he do it? Would he actually do this? It's not too hard for him, but, you know, he's created the universe with these set of laws and these patterns of which things happen. And it just kind of seems like, I don't know if he would actually step in and change a pattern like this. I think this kind of mindset and these kind of questions will leak into our prayers often. Where we want to pray about something, but then we think, kind of like Sarah, we chuckle and we think, but would he actually do this? I pray for that person. Will they actually follow Jesus? Will they actually change? Is addiction only actually solved through ABC or would Jesus actually do something about it? And it's kind of that same issue that Jesus had to ask of like, is anything too hard for me? And that question that gets brought into our mind of does God actually do these impossible things? Does God actually do these things? Would he do it? And it's probably easier for us to think about it, but just think about the, everything that has happened between Abraham and us, between Sarah and us. You have to kind of, you know, cut her some slack because of the time in which she was living. Now, at this point in history, we have seen a lot. We have seen... Uh, the virgin birth, obviously, Je- all of Jesus' miraculous healings, the resurrection. Um, we have the book of Acts, which is just a huge record of all these different miraculous things that God was doing, that the Holy Spirit teleported people and did all these amazing things. And so I think it's safe to say for us that God does these impossible things. The testimony of Scripture is that God jumps in, changes patterns, does these things. But yet we still question here, we still question, is this something God will do or would he do and i think we have to catch ourselves anytime we're entering into prayer anytime we're considering something is do we wrestle with the fact that god might not do impossible things because apparently how god hears that is do you think this is too hard for me do you think anything is too hard for god so the testimony of scripture seems to be that god steps in and does these things he steps in and he changes these things he does these impossible things And this is where this question emerges. It's it's Sarah laughing at the idea of giving birth at this age, as if that's too hard for God. And I think we can see where Sarah's doubts come from here as well. They don't come from actually who God is at all. But instead what she says is, will this happen? Because I'm old, my husband's old, Like I won't be able to get pregnant. And you hear over and over again, I, 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 I. That her understanding, her faith, her trust that God will actually do this, isn't actually based on anything about god she's not thinking about well god has done this in the past or he could do this she's thinking see about herself and so it's no wonder that she would doubt that her prayer that her faith that her trust that her hope for what might happen in the future seems to be pretty low because what is her hope based on here i mean it's based on herself and now eventually sarah does come to the point of trust and faith in god because we're told in Hebrews 11. Um, Hebrews 11 commends her for her great faith, that she did trust God. Um, and this whole scenario is just passed over in Hebrews 11, that she had faith, that she had faith. But I think we have to just recognize her struggle and consider if that could be something that we're struggling with as well. Are we inserting ourselves into the possibility structure of our prayers? Are we putting our hope in our prayers being answered based on who God is, or is it based on who we are? Because eventually, Sarah would get over this, but this was her struggle at this point. This was her struggle. But as we see Jesus being gracious and patient with her, still gave her time here. And it's actually a beautiful thing, because eventually when Sarah does give birth to their son, she names him Isaac, right? And Isaac means laughter. And it was this this callback, this reminder to the entire journey, to the entire journey of faith, of hope, of not knowing if God will do this, and then he did. And she's reminded of that place where she laughed at God. But now the joy of God answering prayer is what takes precedent over that. And so for us, I think this is a good thing to recognize. Just even in this first half, Sarah laughing at God. of God saying, is anything too hard for me? But I think whenever it comes time to, to ask God to change something, and we start to feel that doubt, creeping in, where we almost want to chuckle, where we almost want to say like, okay, I'm going to like pray for healing in this situation, but I don't actually think it's going to work. I just really hope they have good insurance instead. Um, When we start to have those thoughts, I think we have to remember Sarah here. I think we have to remember Jesus's words. Do you think this is too hard for me? Are you basing this off the people around you, off yourself? Or are you remembering who I am? Remembering who I am. And so consider... There's something, I know many of you, um, we are obviously praying for things. There are things that we are asking God for. There are things that we are asking God to do. And if you are in that time when maybe you just kind of feel like chuckling about it, it doesn't seem like something that could or will actually happen, then I would just say search the scriptures for an example. Um, Be reminded by example after example of God doing these impossible things, of God jumping in and breaking the patterns of what we would expect, And be encouraged by those situations. Be encouraged by those testimonies of Scripture where God breaks in and says, I'm the God who does these things. I'm the God where nothing is too hard for me. Or just continue to lean in to learn about who he is and pray based on that. So we don't have hope that God will answer our prayers. It's on us, on the circumstances, it's fully on who he is, what he has done, what he can do. has done what he can do. Consider that. And it's hard to pray about some of those things, because it doesn't seem possible. That's the first half. First half of the chapter, and we're going to get into chapter 16, or the second half in verse 16. Um, so jump back into it, chapter 18, verse 16. Just told Sarah, yes, you did laugh. Anyway, he moves on pretty quickly, because he's being nice. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And the men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing there before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, Abraham saying this to God, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city? For lack of five people, if I find 45 there, God's quick as his subtraction, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry with me. He's like, don't get mad. Let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now I have been so bold to speak to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry with me, but let me speak once more. It's like, continuing on. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham. He left, and Abraham returned home. <laughs> so you have this closing, again. that's like quite the conversation. You, you see God's patience here as well. He's like, Sarah, you laughed. I didn't laugh. You laughed. Abraham, I won't. Judge the righteous with the wicked. Well, what about this? No. What about this? No. What about this? No. God is a patient God. It's kind of hilarious. Um, but here, you, you, see, you see Abraham shocked at God's intention to, com- to condemn the city, right? To judge this whole city. And he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He's calling on who God is. You're the judge of the earth. You're the just God. Shouldn't you do what is just? And Abraham here, man, he's just the guy who cannot take yes for an answer. He is, like, going nuts. And he had just fed Jesus, met with him. Now they're going for a walk, and they have this, like, it's a really theologically complicated um, instance. If you look this up, people have written just volumes and volumes on it. But just to focus on their interaction in general, if prayer is talking to God, and that is what's taking place here, Abraham talking to God— Um, then this is what we would call intercession. Um, Because what's happening is Abraham is talking to God on behalf of others. He's praying for others. Something we do every single Sunday when we gather here. And then hopefully all throughout the week, because you guys are awesome at writing them down. And I really do. I'm sorry, that really sounded condescending. But you guys are doing a good job at writing them down. That's awesome. Continue to do that. Um, But that's what is happening here. Abraham is talking to God on behalf of the city. that's what intercession is this is kind of the technical term that we use for praying for other people Um, the ministry of approaching god on behalf of other people this is intercession and that's what you see here you see abraham praying for others and this is actually the first instance in the entire bible in which we see intercession And if you're familiar with the Law of First Mentions, it's kind of the idea that the first time something is mentioned in the Bible should be how we view it and should tell us a whole lot about that whole topic. Bye, you guys. Have a good week. should be something that that influences the way that we understand this topic throughout the rest of the Bible. So if we're confused about praying for others, confused about intercession, we can always look back to the first mention and be able to learn a lot about it. And this is it. This is the first time someone talked to God on behalf of, of another person right here abraham talking to god about this and it's funny because first thing to know is it doesn't really seem like it was abraham's idea in the first place Um, but actually as they were on this walk god seemed to kind of be you know egging abraham on to ask him about it right he was asking you know should i reveal what i'm going to do to abraham should i tell him my plan God is saying this out loud with Abraham standing right there. Um, and I think it was a bit of, you know, egging urging him to ask the question, because if I were to tell you, you know, I really shouldn't tell you this, but, you know, I've been thinking about this thing. What is your response going to be? It's going to be, well, now you have to tell me. Now you have to do that. I felt bad because when we decided the name for Lydia, I kind of brought it up all the time. Like, hey, we decided on a name. Then everyone's like, are you going to share it? And like, no. <laughs> but um, we did give some hints. I did give the hint to a few people to look in Acts chapter 16, and you'd be able to find the name in there. And I think it was um, Carter Barkley who was looking through there. I'd given him that hint. And he's like, ah, you're naming her Troas, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yep, yep. Imagine, little blonde girl named Troas. It's adorable. So you guys can have that one. We didn't take it. Um, but what you see here is God kind of egging him on ask me about this. Should I reveal this to Abraham? And he's inviting Abraham to ask here. He does want Abraham to know this. And he shares this revelation that God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham. Should I reveal it to him? You know, it reminds him of the covenant, so I probably should. And then he reveals it to him. And he's making it very clear to Abraham. I think one of the other reasons that he kind of urged him and begged the question is he wants Abraham to know, like, this is special secret stuff. Like, this isn't stuff everybody gets to know. This is what you get to know because of the covenant, because of the relationship I have with you. And so when we wonder, like, why would God reveal this to him? Um, Why was he doing that? There's two main reasons. The first one is Abraham had this special relationship with God. He was in covenant with God. Special relationship with God. And God calls Abraham his friend. God calls Abraham friend. And... Because as God mentioned there, Abraham is God's messenger. Um, Abraham has the job of actually passing off this message of God's judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah to others. So there's a reason God is going to reveal this to him because of their special relationship, because Abraham is going to have to be the messenger to explain what happened to share this message, explain what happened. So this first thing with Abraham being God's friend, God reminded him of the covenant here. Okay, should I reveal it to him? I should probably reveal it to him and then God reminds of this whole covenant that he had made with Abraham. The covenant that we see over and over again as we've gone through this, it's in Genesis 12, it's in chapter 15, it's in chapter 17, and again here, God reminds him of it. God doesn't forget about it. God holds to his covenant, and he's reminding Abraham and Sarah over and over again, hey, I am in covenant with you. This is a commitment. We have a special relationship here going on. And God tells Abraham, this is why I'm telling you these things. Because you are in relationship with me. You are in relationship with me. And this is just the way that God works. uh, Because we see in John chapter 15, Jesus essentially did the same thing. In John chapter 15, Jesus went off and he told the disciples, he said, No longer do I call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So this is Jesus in the upper room, 24 hours before he goes to the cross, and he's revealing this plan that he is going to the cross to die. He's revealing this to the disciples. And he's letting them know, hey, I'm telling you this because of our special relationship, because of the covenant that you are in with me. I'm letting you into this because you are friend's. He was giving them this message, similarly to what he did with Abraham here. And the book of James makes this same connection, where it talks about Abraham being a friend of God, Abraham being let into God's secret plan at different times. In chapter 2 of James, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. That all throughout, it's because of their relationship, it's because of Abraham's faith and trust in God, that God would reveal these things. Isaiah does it again. There's actually a few different places where it refers to Abraham as God's friend in this way. But in chapter 41, it says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. So this is one of the reasons that God revealed it to Abraham here, was their relationship, the covenant that they were in. Abraham's faith in God allowed him to be let in to this revelation, this illumination, this message of God to him. That God, as the God who wants to know his people, wants to be with his people, is the God who reveals to his people. We are going to be in relationship, so I want to reveal to you who I am. That's what God is doing. I want to reveal to you how I work. That's what God is doing, because he's inviting his people into a deep knowledge of him. He wants them, he wants us, to know these things, to not be left out in the dark. You know, you see, throughout the New Testament, um, over and over again, the early church struggled with the Gnostics, and they struggled with these people who were coming and teaching all these things. And we just read in chapter 15, John recording Jesus' words, where Jesus says, um, everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. Then the Gnostics are coming in and saying, no, there's got to be more. It's got to be more complicated than that. We have new knowledge. We have new revelation. And as you look through John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John is just making that same statement over and over again, Jesus revealed everything to you. Jesus revealed everything to you. You don't need to look for any other Gospels. You don't need any other knowledge. You don't need to do anything else. Jesus made everything known to you. He invites you to deep knowledge. You might not know it all, but it's all available to you in Jesus. And this is what the message of the New Testament is over and over again, that Jesus wants us to have this deep knowledge. Revealed himself to us. And this is what our prayers can also be built on as well. Um, when the things in our lives, confusing, complicated, when we don't understand scripture, we can turn to him, we can pray. We can understand that he is the God who wants to reveal to us. He's the God who wants, to teaches these things. He wants to let us in to what it is that he's doing. He invites us in and wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal his will to us. And I think we have to consider in this time, as God just kind of brought this to Abraham's attention and egged him on to ask him, I think we have to ask the question, is like, are we listening? Are we listening to these little prompts from God? Where God threw out in a conversation with these other men, should I tell Abraham this? What if Abraham had not been listening? I think we have to consider, well, are we listening? Are we listening to God? T he eggs him on? And the second reason... That I think God uh, uh, you know, brought him in to the secret message is because Abraham has the job of passing off this message. Um, see, God entrusted Abraham with this revelation uh, because Abraham was to give it out. It wasn't just for him. Um, he didn't just take it in for himself. He was going to receive this wisdom and insight for others. He was going to have children. He was going to have a people who were a great nation, and it was his responsibility to share this with others. And I think this is a really important thing to understand in our growing of our faith as well is as we've seen over and over with abraham is one of his main purposes was to be a blessing to others it wasn't just for himself do we actually recognize hey our faith actually isn't at all about us either and prayer shouldn't be all about us either and the revelation and the learning that we get from god maybe isn't all about us either but what we see with abraham here is he's given this revelation he's given this illumination from god Because he's to share it with others. He's to share it with others. He's to tell others, hey, this is how God works. This is what it looks like to follow God, to be righteous. This is what it looks like uh, if you're on the path to judgment. And so I know for many of you that God is teaching you things. God is revealing to you things. So I just want to ask you, like, are you sharing that with others? Are you considering the revelation that God is giving you, um, the passages that you've been reading, um, this new deep knowledge that Jesus is walking you into, that is for you and that is great, but do you also see your own responsibility to share that with others, to share that with those around you? I know that the, the fear comes up and you think, well, I don't know if I'm the one who's supposed to share this. I think if God has revealed it to you, then would you step out and would you share that with others? That if God is teaching you things, if you are learning things about who he is, Share it with others, because that's one of the main purposes we see here of God's revelation, of this relationship that we have with him, this deep knowledge he walks us into, is to share with others. And that's what Abraham was supposed to do. He was going to be a father of many nations, and he was going to teach his descendants the reason God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and thank you so much, Nick, for uh, volunteering to take that one next week. So just a warning for you, we'll be in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we'll have Lot's daughter's next week um so just be prepared for that if you don't know what that means (laughs) you're in for a treat but either way he had to explain why this happened Um, and it's this messy story of all that's happening and god is explaining that hey it's going to be your role and your responsibility to explain this to pass off this message pass off this message sodom and gomorrah was essentially a big lesson for abraham it was this object lesson that he was to teach his children saw that this happened He's able to say, "Well, if you'd rather go your way, you choose to walk with the wicked instead of with the righteous, then it results in judgment. And it was Abraham's role to share that. It's Abraham's role to share that. This, essentially, is one of the things that we see here, as we understand prayer in general, is we learn a lot about God here, because God is saying very clearly, "I'm the God who has to judge. I am the just judge. I must judge." And on the topic of praying, making um, requests, and interceding for others. It's actually because of what God says and because of what Abraham identifies about God. Hey, you're the just judge. That this is one of the reasons that we should and must intercede in general is because what God must do to wickedness, um, this should lead us to intercede for other people like Abraham did, right? Um, Because if the result of sin and walking apart from God's ways is judgment, well, we all recognize That we were wicked. We were all sinners, every one of us, you and me. But because we believe in Jesus, we're under Christ's blood. And we've just been given grace by faith. Nothing we did, simply been saved. This reality should bring us to pray for others. Reality should bring us to pray for others as well, to pray for their salvation. And so if we see intercession as talking with God, as we see prayer as talking with God, well, just like Abraham did here, where he was maybe a little annoying. Um, we can be a little less annoying, but we can also enter into a dialogue with God. We can enter into a dialogue with God, and we can have this prayer where maybe there are other people that he's calling us to pray for, that he's kind of egged us on and brought to mind. And there are a lot of different prayers in the Bible. I guess we can go to this one now. Um, but there are a lot of different types of prayer. These are kind of big categories that we like to kind of shove things into. Um, we saw... Kind of first off, just obviously, there's petitions, there's requests for personal needs. This is kind of the base idea of prayer that we understand. God, give me, insert whatever it is, petition. There's adoration, which is worshiping God, praise, confession, acknowledgement of sin before God. That's everybody's favorite. Thanksgiving, expressing joy for God for what He has done, right? And then there's intercession, which as we already talked about, it's approaching God's throne on behalf of other people. Um, it's essentially the ministry of prayer praying for others it's not about you it's about other people and intercession really is one of the harder kinds of prayer one because it's not for us and because well it's just a little more complicated all the other forms of prayer only involve two parties right there's the one speaking the one being spoken to this one the one speaking one being spoken to one being spoken about as well and so because of this Obviously, intercession brings up a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of questions that we wrestle with. And this whole chapter brings up a lot of questions as well. You know, obviously we talked about, well, will God really do this? But then we wonder, like, is God moved by my prayer? Um, is this just a learning lesson for me? Is he just egging me on just so I'd understand this? Or will my prayer, like, what, what effect do my prayers actually have? Is he moved by me? Is this just for me? These are things that we need to wrestle with. But either way, that's, I think, what intercession should lead us to wrestle with. it lead us to wrestle with who God is. We might not understand. Is this actually what moves God? Is this just to move us? Either way, are you moving towards God in intercession here? And another big thing that I know a lot of Christians struggle with, especially just on the topic of intercession, is like, is there a point in which we need, like, as many people as possible to pray about something, and then it becomes critical mass where God, like, has to act because we've got so many people to pray about it, right? I know, like, sometimes it seems like that with the way that Christians just want, we've got to get this request out so as many people as possible can pray about it, and then God will act. And I definitely don't think that's true, and I sure hope it's not true because if that's the case, then a tiny church like ours, we're never going to have God answer any prayers, only apparently big churches and big cities have things happen. And so I don't think that's true for sure. But also, again, if we recognize that this is the first place in which intercession is mentioned, we can take that law first mentioned. Well, what do we see about intercession here? How many does it take to pray for another person? And the first time intercession is brought up, it is one guy praying for a whole city. It is Abraham talking to God. One person. That's what it looks like here. One person. So it's obviously not about like reaching this critical mass we need as many people as possible to pray about it intercession here began one or two one or two it's just abraham talking to god abraham talking to god about it and again an important thing to acknowledge here is god bringing this up and how intercession i do believe is the response to god just like God was urging him, should I reveal this to you? Should you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? I think intercession is something that God commits to us and gives to us. He basically hands it over to Abraham, and he wanted him to talk to him about it. And so I think anytime these questions come up of like, will God do this? What's happening? I don't know. I think we remember Abraham's situation. We remember who God is in this time. We remember that intercession is a response to God. And I think this should cause us to take a step back and to consider, well, what things are bothering us at the moment? What are the things on our mind? What is breaking our heart, pulling at our heartstrings? What people are coming to mind? In what way is God egging you on um, to pray about something? Because I don't know if you ever have it happen, but typically what happens to me is like a random person comes to mind I'll like, go to Facebook and Instagram and like, stalk them and think like, oh, that's right, I forgot that person exists. Now I remember them. Let me go see how they're doing or look into that. And I've really been trying to see those random moments in which a person is brought to mind or when I see someone who reminds me and looks like someone else that I know, I'm trying to use those moments instead of just like, stalking them on the internet to figure out how they're doing. To Just pray for them. Consider that as God egging you on, urging you on, bringing this person to mind and to pray for them. In that moment. Because maybe that's all it looks like. Is you, wherever it is that you can clear your mind and heart and turn to God in prayer. Maybe you're just using that time um, to speak to God on behalf of others. If you randomly thought, I wonder how so and so is doing. If you remember the requests that have been shared in this place, you use that time then to just like Abraham. You approach God on behalf of others. You approach God on behalf of others. And obviously I know that we, we need to pray for one another, we pray for our friends, we pray for our loved ones. But notice here that our intercessory prayer, our prayer for others, should not, must not be just reserved for our friends. Um, because here, this first case of someone praying for someone else is Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I'm like, please pray for one another. Please pray, pray for your friends. Um, but in the Sermon on the Mount that we covered over the summer, we know that Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. Um, and Abraham here, he's praying for the sinful people, the sinful city, um, these people who essentially were his enemies. And he prayed for them. He prayed for them. And we know that Abraham did that here. He prayed for these people who might have killed him should he have entered the city. Um, but we know... With what Jesus did, Jesus prayed for people who were killing him. He said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus intercedes on our behalf, that he advocates for us to God. Jesus advocates to us, I mean to God for us. And this is the God we have. We have to recognize this. That if prayer is about who God is, Jesus is the God who prays for his enemies, calls us to do the same. The God who wants to be known, who approaches his people, who calls us who are under the blood of Christ, our friend. He wants to reveal things to us. He wants us to be in covenant with us. He wants us to come to him, to seek his face, pray for others as well because we recognize that there are people who are not in covenant with him. There are people who are not in relationship with him, who are not being spoken to about who he is because they don't have that relationship with him. And that is what he's calling us to pray for as well. And this, I think, is what we see in this chapter, of this fascinating story of, of God appearing to Abraham at the tent, Abraham in full hospitality mode, cooking for him, catching Sarah in a lie, and then this long conversation in which he's trying to make this deal about will you do this or will you not, we see so much of God's character brought out in here. But really we see prayer. We see interaction with a God who's available to us. Interaction with a God who calls us friends. Interaction that we as well can have. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I think, even though this chapter seems so strange and disconnected to us, I think we can approach God in the same way. I think we can pray the same way that Abraham and Sarah did here. I think on the whole topic of growing in faith, we're a church that values prayer, and we all want to grow in prayer. And so would you take the pattern, would you take the example laid out here in chapter 18? Pray like this. To pray not based on me, pray based on who God is. Would you pray for others as well? Would you see the urgings of God for others? Would you intercede on their behalf? So let's pray, and we will continue on in worship. So Father God, um, we just thank you for being a God who, who listens, who hears. And we just look back at so many of these stories that we have in the book of Genesis, and you, you identified yourself as the one who hears. And so we just thank you for that. And we um, just repent of all the times in which we, we have ignored your voice. We've ignored your calling. We have not approached you and seen you as the God who, who desires intimacy and relationship with us. Um, we've viewed you as the God who's far off and, and unconcerned. And we see here, it's very clear from your word, that you are the God who, who has come close. As we've celebrated on Christmas... Emmanuel, God with us, and we have your presence with us, we have access to you, and so we just thank you for being the God who wants to interact with us, who wants to speak with us. Um, This week, God, we commit to being a people who speak with you face to face, just like this, and so we see prayer as a response to you. God, would you be reminding us this week to pray, and will you bring people to mind who it is that we're to pray for? Would you bring our city to mind that we Pray for the people who do not know you, God. And we want to be a people who like Abraham. Put you boldly, because we just see your patience, we see your goodness in that interaction. We want to know you more deeply. We want to be more like you. We want to honor you, and we want to see your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to do that. Now we just turn to you in praise, just thanking you for your word, Would you remind it to us. the next week. So it's in Jesus' name I pray.
3: Amen. All glory be to Christ.
4: The Common Ground Church, would you know that your God wants to be with you, wants to reveal things to you, and I just have to commend each and every one of you on a holiday weekend of being here, of responding to the call of God, of being here to be in communion with one another, relationship to God, to come before God's word, even after you stay up those of you who had family in town, for those of you with young children, for those of you who were on break from college, just thank you. Thank you for being here and committing yourself to approaching the God who approached to, for praying and for worshiping. And now as you go, on this New Year's Day, would you go with the words of John chapter 15, where Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so whatever you ask in my name the father will give you and this is my command love one another so common ground church grace and peace have a wonderful week and have a happy new year